Hot Oh, I was doing oh. well until the end. <laughs> the breath control went in the last. It did. <laughs> in the last line. Yeah. How upsetting. Um, Chris McClue Shiver, episode number 53. 53. Wee! <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. That's how it's going. Yeah. See, before we get started, though, I don't know if you've noticed it yet, but do you like my Poirot mug? I love your Poirot mug. Thank you very much. I thought it was very on brand, but I bought this when I was at Greenway. And it has a little Poirot moustache on it. A little moustache. <laughs> Poirot. I did watch Halloween Party. Did you? Yes. I did. And I enjoyed it. <laughs> but? But I felt like there were some really bold leaps in his thinking in actually sussing out who did it <laughs> i was watching it and i was like you have no reason to have thought that thing you just thought but that's because it's poirot and he's a genius he's a genius but he didn't explain it to me enough <laughs> i was like how did you leap to this conclusion you see do you know what he did chris he never did higher math so he never knew that you have to show your working you must oh, show your working see. every time that's every that's how it's time got to be done. I mean, I personally really enjoyed doing that in maths. I was a maths I know nerd. you would, but like, literally, I was the kind of person that was like, you get marks for your working, I'll just do any kind of working. <laughs> <laughs> I've Even written out plus symbols. Stuff. Oh, God. <laughs> I did enjoy it, though. It was on YouTube. Oh. So I'm going to go through a little, go down a little Poirot hole and try and watch the ones that I've never seen before. You absolutely should do that, because there are some, there are some great ones. Heading away there. My friend Ewan has also shown me that he has quite the collection of Agatha Christie uh, novels. So I am going to be borrowing novels until I'm blue in the face. Because I'm going to try and read as much of Poirot and Agatha Christie as possible. Beautiful. Again, I say some of her novels, she has quite firm views on things that are a bit not conducive to our views today. Different times. Different (laughs) times, kids. (laughs) <laughs> just have to bear that in mind that yes she was a lady of her time but they're very good novels i'm trying desperately to get through a novel that i've been working on for a really long time it's lengthy what is it? it's called shakespeare's secret and i started off Ooh. thoroughly enjoying it and now i've kind of hit a little bit of a roadblock with it i'm finding it difficult to get through mm-hmm. but because mind that episode I did of the podcast where I spoke about Shakespeare you did. Um, yes. theories. There's actually a lot yes. of theories in this book because mm-hmm. it's essentially also about is Shakespeare a man called William Shakespeare or yes. was that a front? Mm-hmm. And there are some additional details that I find fascinating. I might note them down and tell you them next week because it beautiful but it was quite wordy. It was quite wordy and was going around in circles for a wee bit and I was like I'm kind of losing it. So I've struggled yeah. to get through this book. And I don't like no, stopping fair. halfway through a book. So I need to keep with it. No. You should commit to it. It is that's good. Fair. It's just, uh, it's lengthy. And I feel like we've, we've slowed the pace a bit. Well, I'm currently still on my non-fiction book about the Franklin Expedition called Ice Ghosts. Okay. Um, which is very good. And it's, I've just got past the section where they went fully in depth about all the clairvoyance that Lady Franklin got in contact with and it was very fascinating let me tell you i love that um yeah and it was really interesting it also talked about like the clairvoyant process 
of the time and how one was deemed to be a psychic of the time. It was, honestly, it was very fascinating. Nice. I need to... It was very cool. Read in more detail my Square Mile of Murder book. I've not read the full shebang. I did a lot of Mm. skimming and picking and choosing bits. But I've heard, I've now know, I know of two people who've bought the book since we did our episode. Amazing. Um, so you're very, very welcome, Mr. Nope, forgotten his name. <laughs> Can't remember his name. Uh, whoever wrote that book, uh, you're very welcome. Yep. But yeah, it's it's a lot of ex- extracts from court cases and things yeah. like that. So it's quite old words and you know what I'm yeah, like yeah, with old yeah. words. I find it difficult yeah. to say them. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My brain autocorrects things into normal English. So yeah. trying to say the old words <laughs> is hard. Um, yep, that's fair enough. But yeah, it's uh, 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 what is his name? Do you want me to Google it? It's. I mean, it's so okay. It will annoy you though. It will annoy me. Also, apologies. Just as a side note to anyone, if in the background you can hear banging and clattering, there's a lot of action going on outside today. With it's not the kids. Uh, it's not the kids today. It's building works, and it's really yep. intense. It sounds like they're having <laughs> some kind of robot war with their pickup trucks and stuff oh my god okay as a side note your author is jack house jack house i knew it was house i couldn't think of his first name Jack House. also can we just take a minute now that you've brought up robot wars what a time what a throwback oh my god i, I love, love robot that pro- wars. that program was excellent i feel like it was on after or before the simpsons it definitely was because it was BBC Two. Must have been about six thirty or something like that back love in the it. day on like a Friday. Yeah, <sighs> I used to love that program. What a time! Oh my god! Used to the the different outfits they put those robots in, and who has the time yes. to build a robot? Come on now, that's Literally. wild. <laughs> it was crazy. Oh my god, it was great. Oh. Robot Wars was so good, and you had like the house robots, who were the most badass robots that ever did exist, with the best Very names. True. Also, fun fact: my dearly departed first cat was also called Matilda, which oh, was the nice. name of one of the house robots. <laughs> Love it. Was the cat named after the robot or after the Roald Dahl character? No, she already had that name, but it was just a beautiful coincidence. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's so sweet. Um, I loved yeah. Robot Wars. It was so good. It See, came back reboot briefly. it again. I feel like we they should did. go in. They did. They did reboot it because it was filmed in Glasgow. It was oh. like filmed down at Renfrew or something. Yeah. How fun. In a big warehouse. And then it kind of fell away again. So if they try and do it a third time, we should enter in. Um, what would our robot be? <laughs> That's true. What would it be? I feel like it would have to have something gothic. So like an axe or a scythe attached to it or something <laughs> yeah it's like a lizzie borden yeah oh that's what we could call it lizzie b yeah lizzie b the the robot she has an axe the robot she'll kill you with 40 wax oh my god <laughs> bbc if you ever hear this please bring back robot wars <laughs> just so we can bring our lizzie borden <laughs> robot in neither of us know anything about electronics or robotics but we'll make it happen <laughs> it would literally be a remote-controlled car yeah. with an axe. Yeah, literally. That would be it. That'd be cool. And some kind of gothic gown. Exactly. Maybe wearing some Victorian ruffles. Oh, there would be a God. bustle for sure. There would absolutely be a bustle involved. How bleeding are you other than all of that? I am quite all right. It's been quite a 
busy week. I've got myself a new job, which is very exciting. Woo-woo! I'm not going to say what it is, though, because I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm going to be going and doing that. Um, I'm going to Edinburgh next week. Fabulous. For a little join. What's, your, what's the occasion? Nothing, really. Just that I had a weekend off. And me and my mother were like, should we go to Edinburgh? Let's go to Edinburgh. Why not? Why not? So we're going to go through and do some things. Don't know what yet. It's probably going to involve a cemetery. Let's not lie here. you got to keep it true to the brand. Absolutely. Absolutely. It'd be wrong not to go and say hello to the yeah. people that we've spoken about on this podcast. You could spend more time in the correct Dean, C- Dean Cemetery. That's very true. And I'm hoping to do that because there's lots of people that I would like to go and say hello to. Yeah. And we can... Now we know which one is the right one Yep. in that context. Um, the other one was very lovely, though, as well. It was. And I, in honour of our Halloween episode and your excellent story, I watched Hocus Pocus on Halloween night. And it was a gem and a half of a time, let me tell you. Oh. It was delightful. Also, yes. so folks, I sent Chris a picture of my laptop with the film playing on it. <laughs> To say, look what I'm watching in like honor of Halloween, ha ha ha. I knew you'd like this. And he could tell me the exact line (laughs) that was being spoken in the still photo that I sent him. I, when I say I love that film and know that film like the back of my hand, I'm not kidding. He's not kidding. I'm not it's kidding. Honestly, I feel like we need to turn this into a larger game, though, where we just send random photos of stills from Hocus Pocus <laughs> and you have to say the correct line. I think it can go off the ground as a really good game. I, well, I think I would win with flying colours. I also Absolutely. think Hocus Pocus would 100% be my mastermind subject. Yes, fully. I could yeah. see that happening. Oh, I, my God. It was, let's brew another batch. I can just, because she yeah. does this like motion with her hands as she says it. So when I saw <laughs> in the still, she was doing that thing with her hands. I was like, she's saying, let's brew another batch. It, honestly, it was impressive. I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, that's my time at the minute. That's my nice things. But how was your Halloween? Oh yeah. I forget that we haven't spoken about it. So yeah, the actual Saturday night murder mystery my friend Ewan, who's the one that has the Agatha Christie collection, mm-hmm. it was him and his boyfriend Nathan were throwing this murder mystery party. And Very it was friend. kind of nautical themed. Mm-hmm. It was from the 90s. It was a tape, cassette tape, that, mm-hmm. we, that they had to purchase a player in order to listen to. Oh my to. God. And it kind of came in and out of... It was like... There's been a murder... Because the tape's so old. That's kind of what it was like. Oh my God. Uh, But it was great. And we were all given our little booklets. Each round had facts about your character and questions Mm -hmm. that you had to pose to another character. Mm -hmm. I opened my book to the very first page and it said, you are the murderer. You can lie. (laughs) And I was like, oh no, (laughs) help. Um, Oh no. So I didn't know I was going to be the murderer till I was there. Yeah. And also scarily true to life my character Cariuso who was the opera singer that I had been assigned she had lost her voice (gasps) and was having some voice troubles and I literally last week got my scope done so I was like this is spooky this is spooky it's art meeting reality that 
It was. I was like, it's literally Carrie Uso and Chris McLeish are the same person, apart from I haven't murdered anyone yet. Yet. <laughs> like, there's still time. There's still, you know, I've got plenty of years to come. <laughs> it was so much fun. They'd gone all out in decoration. The costumes were great. They made food. The food was delightful. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was very extra and very on brand for... I love it. Like, my kind of people, do you know what I mean? And I managed yeah. to fool most of the people around the table. Excellent. So I think I got two votes as being the murderer. Somebody else got one and then the other person got five. One person mm-hmm. got five votes. So they got voted the murderer. And it wasn't him, it was me. So <laughs> jokes on them. Uh, Yay, that means you lied excellently. I did. And I was very proud of my costume. Of course nobody understood it because no one knows Cosi Fantuti, (laughs) which is fine. It is quite an obscure opera. That's fair, but I appreciated it. I appreciated it too. I thought it was clever. I thought it was punny. And people didn't hate it. They just didn't get it. Exactly. That's okay. (laughs) That's okay. I also already have an idea for next year's Halloween costume, which is also (gasps) pun-based. Can you give us any hints? It is a combination of two things. One thing that you get taught very early as a child. It could be a myriad of things. A myriad of things. And a character from Wicked. Oh, that's very intriguing. So you'll have to wait till 2022. I'll have to wait, exactly. We've got a whole year. A whole year. Wow. By which time I will have forgotten my idea. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, I might have to write it down. Well, you'll have this recorded account, so you know you'll have a starting point if you That's do forget true. it. <laughs> Chris, come back to episode 53 if you need a reminder. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> I can do that. I would also... The, the one thing I will say is because it was from the 90s, there were some aged references and aged language. I, I, I definitely don't think a room full of liberal queer people... Yeah. It's not their target market that they had in mind. Yeah, that's fair. It was definitely a straight couple from the 90s kind of party. Okay. Um, And we were not that, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So. No, you were better than that. That's what it was. Exactly. I'm not speaking for everyone at at the party, but the majority of us fit into that category. So, yeah, shame on you, uh... 90s. 1990s. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we go on to Miss Hattie McCamp herself? Hattie McHatt, tell us what you're saying. Here's the question <laughs> for you to answer. Mm-hmm-hmm. I'm not a composer. She... Well, she'll be very thrilled with that little intro. She's never had a full verse before. Do you know, next week, I'm going to come up with a theme tune. <laughs> if, I come, if I actually do come up with a theme tune, I'll be very proud of myself. Oh, speaking of theme tunes, this is a side note before I ask this. I finally got to watch the rest of Only Murders in the Building. Oh, yes. So good. So good. So good. Absolutely loved it. Check it out, folks. It's Check brilliant. It Very funny. Yeah. Very funny. Selena Gomez was actually pretty solid. I thoroughly enjoyed so her. So good. Yeah. It was really great, yeah. honestly. And I did not see the twist coming, let me tell you. Neither did I. Good. Okay. I had to think there was quite a lot of twists, so I had to think of the biggest. And you're right. The Didn't biggest, see that as in the the who done it yes. twist. Yes. Um. Okay, we are sticking with all well, kind of talking about music. <gasps> yes. Which is beautiful. 
And it's what's an underrated musical? Oh, Acorn Antiques the musical. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Sorted. So easy. It's nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. Victoria Wood, my literal hero. She is probably my favorite comedian of ever. Yeah, <laughs> um, of ever. Of ever. <laughs> she. Oh, she is sorely, sorely missed. I've already said this before on the podcast, I know. She absolutely is, though. But that musical is so good because it takes one of her most iconic series of sketches, turns it into a full-blown staged musical with most of the original cast. Mm -hmm. And it's just so funny. I quote it constantly. And people (laughs) probably don't even know I'm quoting it because nobody has seen it. It's so funny. I've got the DVD, so we'll have a DVD night one night and we'll watch Acorn Antiques the Musical. We absolutely will have to do that. It's so funny. I'm trying to think of like a favourite line. There's a moment where Celia Imrie is exasperated and she goes, Mother Teresa on a biscuit tin. It's like, (laughs) it's such a genius line. It's so good. Oh my God, I feel like to start using that in my daily life. (laughs) (laughs) Also, uh, there's a bit where... Julie Walters takes a sip out of a coffee cup and she goes, Oh, that coffee's bitter. Maybe I should give up on your dad's old pants and get a cafetier. <laughs> so funny. So yeah. good. So good. And yourself? Mine's has definitely got to be Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard! I don't know the words. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely that though yeah Yeah, fully such a great show yes such a such a great show beautiful score honestly some of angeloid weber's best stuff to be honest is in sunset boulevard it's absolutely glorious the story itself is sad yeah it's a little bit creepy it deals with hollywood in the 50s which was a bad, slightly salacious time. Indeed. So it's of great interest. <laughs> yeah. It's um To those of us that like kind of like the dark side of Hollywood. They are making a movie adaptation um, with Glenn Close, aren't they? They are. I really I believe it's been pushed back. Yes. But yes, they are in the process of making the film. One of my theatre highlights of my life thus far has got to be seeing Glenn Close in Sunset Boulevard in London. Oh, did you? I did. I absolutely blinking did. It was at the London Coliseum, which is the home of English National Opera, um, which is one of the most beautiful theatres in the West End, by the way. It's so easy to walk past because it's just down this lane, but it's ginormous and beautiful. And um, I remember sitting there and I was sitting with next to this couple and I, the three of us, me and these two guys, fangirled so hard <laughs> when Glenn Close came out for her first entrance. <laughs> I love that. She came out onto the staircase. We were just like, oh, it's really hard. <laughs> I love that. I made friends that night. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. And yeah, so it's just so good. It's such a good show. And I think a lot of people forget it exists. Yeah. To be perfectly honest. It's not one that I've actually seen live, but I know quite a lot of the music and I've watched yeah. a lot of Glenn Close's performances. 
So good. So good. She was absolutely heartbreaking. And she's also tiny. Is she? I always think of when close... Well, it didn't help that the guy that was playing like the lead opposite heart is about six foot three. Okay. But um, I always thought... Because I obviously know Glenn Close from like 101 Dalmatians and Fatal Attraction and all those famous films. And I always just think of her as being really, really tall. But I actually know she's quite short. But as a side note, now that I talk about this, have you heard the Angeloid Webber Symphonic Suites album yet? No. Go and listen to it. It literally came out like two days ago or something. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. It's three suites of music that are played by a symphony orchestra from Evita, Sunset Boulevard, and Phantom. Okay. Oh, it's so good. Put it on whatever speaker you have and turn it up as loud as it can go. Okay, I'm so in. I will do that. It's such a it's such an excellent time. Such a good album. Okay. Well, shall we fire in? Absolutely. Let us kick us off. This story is actually gonna start out, you're gonna think I'm gonna do one thing, but I'm not doing that thing. But you'll see. You'll see. So, for many, The Shining is a haunting movie that has instilled deep-rooted fears of lifts, long corridors, and heinous 70s carpets. Agreed. Also, I know you're not going to be talking about The Shining, because you hate that film. (laughs) So I'm presuming this is leading to another point. (laughs) It is. I would like to, at some point, watch it again to try and convince myself it's not as trash as I thought it was the first time I watched it. But we shall see. If I can bring myself to do that. The film is not only haunted by hideous garish decor, but also the face of a woman terrified of her director. Something Mm -hmm. that I find truly awful. And it makes me very sad. But none of these are what is relevant to my story today. (laughs) Do you recall the bathroom scene? I do. Somewhat disturbing. Yes. So, a beautiful woman, if you're into that kind of thing, named Lorraine, emerges naked from a bathtub and proceeds to seduce Jack, the protagonist, only to turn to decay as he embraces her in his arms. Now, in the past, Lorraine was known to seduce young bellboys into her room, where they would engage in acts one may consider far from PG. Full of self-disgust, she one day slit her wrists while taking a bath. After her death, she continues to haunt the hotel, seemingly becoming one of the strongest poltergeists there, as her room is the most feared by guests. Now, what might this have to do with our little podcast? Well, long before Stephen King ever learned to read, let alone pen a novel, (laughs) Glasgow had its very own bathroom dweller. It all started in the 1830s when a man named Captain Smythe purchased a house in Blythewood Square and moved in with his family. Oh, fancy, fancy. Fancy, fancy, fancy. So Blythewood Square is the prestigious square atop Blythewood Hill in the centre of the city of Glasgow. The city was built as part of the, quote, magnificent new town of Blythewood. Never heard it being referred to that, so must have... (laughs) <laughs> that title must have fallen off quite quickly. Absolutely, didn't catch on that. No, it didn't. And it was a westward expansion from around 1800 of Glasgow upon the 470 acres of the land of Blythewood, stretching from Buchanan Street to the River Kelvin near the University of Glasgow. Lovely. These open grounds with occasional mills and quarries were acquired by the Douglas Campbell family in the 17th century. 
The square is one of the largest residential developments on Blythewood Hill on the 35 acres of ground purchased in 1802 from the Campbells of Blythewood by the great improver, William Harley, textile manufacturer and merchant. Harley was also owned the adjacent mansion and 10-acre estate of Willow Bank, where he created and opened his Willow Bank Blythewood Pleasure Gardens with views over the Clyde. Well then. Yes, what a fancy man. <laughs> the great improver. The four Georgian terraces forming the square are Category A listed buildings and were completed in the 1820s by the trustees and successors of William Harley. They have facades designed by architect John Brash. Harley also developed his new business establishments at the east end of Bath Street, supplying piped water for Glasgow's citizens, creating the first indoor public baths in Europe, and pioneering the largest and first hygienic milk dairy in Europe. That's quite a couple of claims to fame there. Good job, Mr. Harley. <laughs> so let's just break that down. First indoor public baths in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. Fabulous. Hurry for hygiene. First hygienic, first hygienic milk dairy. Also excellent. Excellent. And piped water to Wonderful. Glasgow citizens. What a guy. Excellent. Fantastic. Another first, in 1895, the townhouse at number five became the home of the Ladies' Artists' Club, formed in 1882, being the first Lady Artists' Club in Britain and the first residential club for women in Britain. Oh! Good job. It's all happening. It's all happening in Blythewood Square. The clubhouse was sold in 1971 to the Scottish Arts Council, but the Glasgow Society of Lady Artists continues today. The neighbouring house at the corner of Blythewood Street was the home of 21-year-old Miss Madeline Smith. <gasps> we know her. We know her. And I did talk about Blythewood Square in you her did, episode. Yeah. However, I didn't go into detail about the area. Mm-hmm. Now, she, as a reminder, was tried in the High Court in 1857 for poisoning her lover with arsenic. The trial was sensationally reported in great detail daily around the world, the jury reaching their conclusion that the charge against her was not proven. You can hear all about this in episode two, part one of the Square Mile of Murder series. Eh, that's so long ago. That's a long time ago. Yeah. That's literally the first thing I ever did. a year ago. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Wow. Now back to you in the studio, Captain Smythe. Although Captain Smythe and his family were delighted with their new home in Blythewood Square, they all soon agreed that one of the bathrooms in the building needed work. It felt cold and uninviting. Some even said it felt hostile. So the captain set about remedying the situation to give the room a new lease of life. First, he had it redecorated, giving the place a fresh lick of paint, but that didn't seem to make much of a difference. He then replaced the windows to let in more light, and even went as far as having a new bath plumbed in. But the room continued to feel strangely unsettling. Oh, nobody wants an unsettling toilet. No, that's a very private space. Exactly. You don't want One to feel nervous. One must feel 
no, no, no. At ease is what we want. In Absolutely. The captain couldn't put his finger on what was causing this bathroom to feel so unappealing. Captain Smythe couldn't shake the feeling that this was a sinister space and held off using the bathroom, letting other family members do so first. But eventually, at the insistence of his wife, he had to brave having a bath. Yes. Probably because he was a stinky monkey. (laughs) And she was like, you need to get yourself cleaned. Yes. But I'm not going to kiss you, you disgusting boy. That's what she said. Is that a quote? Um, quote? That's a quote. That's a direct quote. Although in this time, she probably would have said something like, in this day and age, one must assume that touching you is going to be of most disgusting feelings within myself because they talked. (laughs) You're not wrong. It took them days to say anything. Now, unfortunately for him, the true cause of the bad feeling in the bathroom could send chills down even the hottest of spines. Oh, no. One night, whilst the good captain was tending to his personal hygiene and giving himself a -a scrub-a-dub-dub, which he did with some trepidation, I must add. Fair enough. Yes, and armed with towels and candles, all seemed well. Until he fell, testing the water's temperature with his foot. In true hammer horror tradition, the candles went out. Captain Smythe was struggling to get up because he was slippy like a little fish. When he observed the ghostly figure of a dark-haired woman enter the room from the airing cupboard in the corner, passing directly through the freshly painted closed door. Ignoring his presence, she quickly approached the area where the old bath had once been situated and proceeded to grip her hands around some invisible object, tightly squeezing, squeezing, tightly squeezing whatever was in her hands. The candles in the bathroom reignited. The captain got to his feet. A quick glance at the bath revealed that it was empty, but thoroughly terrified and heedless of what the maids might think, Captain Smythe shot out of the bathroom naked and ran to his wife. She wasn't particularly sympathetic. (laughs) She laughed at his fear, however. (laughs) Oh, God. But she was probably relieved to see that his wee willy winky was the cleanest it had ever been. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hurry for small mercies. (laughs) Woo! Small mercies? What a poor man. (laughs) Uh, So she laughed at his fear but swore him to secrecy because such a story would terrify the children and the servants. Can't be having that. Can't be having that. We don't want to have any terrified children. No, no, no. Life is already too scary. Yes. Uh, Nothing was said and the family lived in the house contentedly for a few weeks. Now, for most people hearing this today, the thought of a ghost wandering around your bathroom would be enough to make you move out. Unless you're me because you, well, maybe not in the bathroom. I still want my Victorian child, but... I know, like, with boundaries. We want boundaries yes. in place with yes. your household ghosts. The bathroom is the one place where I'll burn sage. Everywhere yeah. else, sage-free. <laughs> so you'd think that this would make you move out, but 19th century Glaswegians were made of pretty tough stuff. And Captain Smythe and his family were not prepared to be run out of their home by some silly spectral Susan. 
A few days passed without any further supernatural activity, but soon enough the captain's wish that no further apparitions would appear within his home was dashed. Early one Sunday evening, Captain Smythe was in his study reading part two of the Twilight Saga. I don't think that's true. That's just me. Oh, okay. Making assumptions. Oh. I mean, good, good taste, though. That's definitely, like, the best Is of it? the three. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. I think it's the best okay. of the four. Yeah. Okay. Newman's okay. definitely, yeah. I've never read any of them. I've seen the first film. Didn't enjoy. <laughs> Vampires can't go outside in daylight. It's just the f- one rule <laughs> of being a vampire. It's literally top of the list. It's top of the list. Yes, he was sitting reading whatever book it was he was reading. I yes. shall not accuse him of reading the Twilight Saga. Oh. When he was disturbed by a fearful shriek coming from the second floor. Oh. Darting to the source, he discovered his, stun- his son standing on the landing in a state of panic. Barely able to speak, he slowly explained that he was getting ready to step into a warm bath when he saw the bloated, lifeless body of an elderly man submerged in the water. The captain, now convinced that some terrible deed had taken place in his home, made inquiries from his neighbours about the property's history. Apparently, the house had previously been occupied by a wealthy elderly man, who had purchased the property shortly after Blythewood Square was constructed. He was a widower with no children or close family. As frailty set in, he became increasingly dependent on his young Spanish nursemaid, who, seeing an opportunity to enrich herself, persuaded the old man to make her his wife. The neighbours reported that the couple would have fierce rows, which could be heard by everybody on the street. The young wife they agreed, had a wicked temper a frequently mentioned, and frequently mentioned her husband's regular fainting fits. Several weeks later, the man was reported dead, said by his young widow to have drowned in the bath following one of his fainting spells. Hmm. Shortly after the old man's funeral, she inherited all of his assets, the property was put up for sale, and the young woman was never seen again. And many locals, of course, suspected foul play. Fair enough. Checks out. And that, that is the ghost story of Blythewood Square's bath. I, <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that Glasgow had its own shining haunted toilet. Yes, Blythewood Square, brilliant. kids. I don't know which address, so we can't go and see for ourselves. <laughs> exactly. Um, We're going to have to knock on all of the doors. And I hope you're proud of me that I have managed to successfully do a story that's less than 6,000 words for that once. That is genuinely quite impressive. Thank you. Well done, you. Because normally, normally my stories are long. <laughs> or they are recently, anyway. That's an excellent story. Yes, <gasps> short but sweet, but I thoroughly enjoyed the ghostage. Oh, see, that's like such a good classic ghost story, though. I mean, I'm assuming the apparition of the woman that the dad saw was her strangling the man. Yes. And then, like a good jigsaw, the other pieces fell into place and they Absolutely. saw the body of the man. Oh, I wonder what happened to her. Where did she go? Also, like, why did she, why did she go back there? 
people sometimes say that ghosts hang around where some kind of trauma happened. Yeah, and they just so kind it of, may be yeah. that it was it maybe was not even necessarily like her ghost. It was maybe just, just the like flash a... of what happened to the man because yeah. he's yeah, who knows? It depends Ooh. on how you how you feel about ghosts and what your theories of how ghosts work are. That's so cool. Not cool because she drowned somebody Ooh. in a bath, but as in like, it makes for a very good ghost story. <laughs> Would you like me to kick off? Kick off. Be like a footballer and kick that <laughs> ball on the grass and make it go to the holes. Sports. Sports. Sports 101 right there. Nailing yeah. it. Nailing it. So let's head on back to the year of our Lord, 1995, to attend the BAFTA Television Awards. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan and a half. I was four. And I was fresh on this earth. Oh, <laughs> nearly. welcome. <laughs> um, so director David Blair, producer Chris Parr and writer Donna Francis Child are picking up the award for best drama serial. And when I say serial, obviously don't mean like Rice Krispies. Yes. Like... Um, they, they were the ones that released the small packets that come in a multi-pack and you get like a sample of each. Yes, everybody And they won a prize those. for that at the BAFTAs. <laughs> they do. So it's for a 1994 BBC Scotland commissioned TV series that had become something of an unexpected hit. So Taken Over the Asylum, written by Francis Child, is set in the fictional St Jude Psychiatric Hospital. And a fun fact for you, it's quite a sad fact, but a fun fact. In the Catholic Church, St Jude is the patron saint of desperate cases and lost causes. My patron saint. Your <laughs> She's mine. He's mine. Oh, dear me. So uh, the series stars Ken Stott as Eddie McKenna, who is a double-glazing salesman and aspiring DJ that rejuvenates the hospital radio station by involving the patients of the establishment. It also co-stars a fresh-out-of-drama-school David Tennant, literally in his first major TV role, and he looks about 17 years old. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he looks so young it's crazy but he's absolutely brilliant in it you could tell if you'd never seen him like in anything and just watched that you'd be like that kid is going to go far because he's amazing in it yeah yeah and it also stars katie murphy angus mcfadgen pre-braveheart fame because he played robert the bruce and braveheart he did. um and ruth mccabe as inpatients at the hospital Although the series does have elements of dark humour in it, it does take an unflinching look at both the attitudes towards and the treatment of individuals living with mental illness in the late 20th century. So even though it's not that long ago, societal attitudes towards mental health were vastly different to the contemporary attitudes today, and society was largely unsympathetic towards mental health, even in the Mm -hmm. mid to late 90s. It was not good. So those living with such conditions were routinely mocked in comedy sketches and conditions such as anxiety and depression were entirely misunderstood. These people were not seen to be ill. They were simply, to quote the TV show, loonies. Yeah. Yeah. It was not a nice time. And it was so recent as well, which I think is the strangest thing. Um, Yeah. So recent. 
So taking over the asylum challenged the view, views of the time surrounding mental health and its treatments, but despite its success, it was still semi-hidden away by the BBC. So it very much okay. was a hit, and there were plans to repeat it on BBC One, but apparently the commissioner said that he couldn't broadcast a programme that had the word asylum in it. I know. Okay. I know. Despite it winning all these awards and like fully breaking taboos and stuff like that. People! Honestly. So the drama was filmed in a soon-to-be decommissioned hospital in 1993-94. The facility itself closing in 96 after 100 years of operation. So let's talk about Gartlock Hospital, also known as Gartlock Asylum. Mm, okay. Yes. So the Gartlock Estate, situated in Gartkosh Village, which is just outside of Glasgow, is bought for £8,600. How much do you think that is today? This is Victorian times mm. we're talking about, remember. That must be something like 800000 you're not far off, to be honest. 672, approx. Okay. So, yeah, okay. pretty close. Good guess. And it's bought by the Glasgow City Corporation. It's to be the site of a new asylum built by the Glasgow District Lunacy Board. Good Lord. That was a thing. That, this was a legit thing. So the passing of the Lunacy Scotland Act, 1857 established the Board of Commissioners in Lunacy in Scotland, along with individual district boards for the country. Do you know I don't even like saying that word? Yeah, I don't... Like, Lunacy is just a horrible word, but this was legit yeah, just... the names of these corporations back in the 1800s. So these boards had the power to establish and operate publicly funded, quote, district asylums, as privately funded institutions generally required patients to pay for their treatment. Classic. Mm-hmm. Classic. Yeah. All about the monies. So Gartlock opened in 1896 and initially had space for 560 patients, half for men and half for women. And the annual reports from the hospital give details of reasons for admission to the hospital. Mm. Yes. So taken from the 1899 annual report, there were 203 admissions that year, with 63 readmissions. Now, considering there was only 203 people admitted in total, 63 is quite a big number. Yeah, that's a... That's... It doesn't sound like their care must be particularly good if those people almost immediately have to readmit themselves. Exactly. So, yes. Um, says a lot. And I will be getting on to talking about that. Okay, yes, I shan't say say more. All right. Um, So seven patients were over the age of 70 and two were over the age of 85. By Jove. For 1899. Wow. Considering their age, these elderly patients, the report says given their, quote, frail and interfering ways, they must be kept away from the acute and excited cases. Illnesses reported include, quote, alcoholic intemperance in 50 cases and, quote, general paralysis in 18 cases. Now, this is the official term given to the quote-unquote madness that occurs in end-stage syphilis. 
Yes. So okay. remember when we talked about our Lock Hospital episode way back in the day? Mm-hmm. That was treatment for syphilitic patients. Um, yeah, there definitely would have been people suffering from syphilis admitted to Gartlock Hospital to effectively just wait out their days. Oh, that is so sad. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 38 patients are recorded to have died across the year, including 11 from g- this general paralysis and right. 7 from tuberculosis, which is your classic Victorian illness in Glasgow yeah. at the time. So treatment plans at the hospital included employment and activities, and I quote, work, especially out-of-door work on farm and garden for men and women, has benefited many. Recreation and treatment go hand in hand, the grounds adjoining the loch affording a delightful summer resort for suitable cases. A summer resort. Yes, that's a phrase to call one of these institutions, honestly. Yeah. Um, so at the time before like the area of Gartlock was like gentrified it was like a village it was out in the middle of nowhere so as quite a lot of these hospitals would have been yeah quite a lot of them were built out in the countryside away from the cities um, we have a few near Aberlady yeah oh We've that's, quite a few. Very, that's interesting uh, we have a sanatorium for tuberculosis, uh, which is maybe like 15 minutes away. And we have, there's an abandoned one in Haddington, I think. Oh, so the 1920 records from the hospital show that cricket matches and football matches between patients from Gartloch and other hospitals in the city occurred, as well as trips to local lochs. A wee day trip. A wee day trip. Nice. Gartlock was also converted into an emergency hospital during World War II, with the patients moved to Gart Naval Hospital or placed in temporary accommodation built in the grounds. Okay. Yeah. So they weren't, like, abandoned. They did yeah. put them in places. It doesn't is... sound... It doesn't sound all, like, mistreaty, as one might suspect. As one might first thing exactly yeah. um so the source for the 1899 records comes from a really good art a really interesting article which i have used previously on this podcast called asylums in glasgow the place where madness was managed okay that's um and it, te- it talks all about the kind of like defunct um psychiatric hospitals in glasgow and it is very interesting actually because there was a lot of them well, that's because back in the day, the solution to any kind of trouble was just just put them in a like a place. Just put them away. Yeah. Put them. Just put, put people them in jails, workhouses, or asylums. Yep. The Holy Trinity. Yep. Of where to put people. So Gartlock, as a hospital that began operation in the late Victorian era, would have meant its patients would have been subject to some of the common treatments of the time. Now, a little heads up, folks. I am going to be talking a little bit about historical treatments for uh, mental illnesses. If you don't want to listen to this, which I entirely understand, I would recommend skipping the next five, ten minutes. Okay. If that. There's nothing really violent. There's nothing really, like, super horrible. But just, I can understand why you might not want to hear about what happened to these people. So, yeah. there you go. Also, sorry, Chris, because you're going to have to listen to this. That's okay, because this kind of thing, I'm in. 
okay <laughs> I found it fascinating but yeah skip the next five ten minutes if you don't want to hear about historical mental health treatments um so the first one is restraint so commonplace in victorian institutions would have been the act of restraining patients such justifications given by establishments included to control what was deemed to be antisocial behavior to stop patients harming themselves or others around them or in some cases patients themselves would request to be restrained oh yeah so when i was researching this bit there are some really harrowing photos which i am not going to put on the um instagram because they're very they're horrible and there are people who did not give their permission to have these photographs taken um of people in victorian restraints and it is some of the most horrendous things ever because that was kind of what they thought it was by force they thought that it would just work by force yeah rather than trying to talk with people about why they were doing what they were doing or whatever it was just more about stick them in a restraint or some kind of yeah it was nasty it was horrible and despite seeming positively historical this practice continued well into the 20th century so in multiple episodes of taking over the asylum the nursing assistant played by kenny bryans is seen forcibly restraining patients Frances Child felt it was a little too brutal, but an extra working on the production, who was also an ex-patient, said to her that, quote, oh no, he's got it exactly right. So this was happening until like the 90s. People were being forcibly restrained if staff felt that they were like, quote unquote, getting out of hand, Mm -hmm. which you just can't, you can't, which is just brutal. It's just horrible. Yeah, because these people were these people were unwell, and I think that's what people were not sympathetic to the fact about at the time, is it was, it's just the same as having like a broken limb. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't restrain someone who had a broken leg. No. So why are you restraining someone who might be having a panic attack? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's wild. Uh, There was also the practice of perching might be more commonly known as bloodletting. So there was a theory that one could rid themselves of illness by disposing their own blood. This was used heavily as a treatment at St Mary of Bethlehem's Hospital, London. What's that better known as, Chris? Oh, uh, oh, uh, Great Ormond Street. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely not that. The only one I can think of. It's better known today as Bedlam. Oh, Bedlam, of course. Of course, of course, of course. Because it came from, like, people shortening Bethlehem. Oh, to Bedlam. Bedlam. Which is I where was we just, get... <laughs> I was so just which thinking, is... like, any kind of hospital. Yeah, which is actually kind of where we get that phrase from. So people who say it's like Bedlam, it's Bedlam in here yeah. are actually referring to a psychiatric hospital that was not a place you wanted to end up. Mm-hmm. It was bad. Um. So, yeah. Doctors would effectively let patients bleed out to collect a certain amount of blood because they thought it was good for like opening blood vessels and ridding like of toxins in the body. 
really you're just letting a patient bleed out. It's not really doing yeah. anything. Um, and occasionally the process of quote-unquote purging also included inducing patients to vomit. Yeah. That's grim. Bad time. Bad time. There's also the concept of community. In reading about the treatments of patients in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, one element that does seem to prevail is the idea of creating a community. We've already heard about patients at Gartlock being encouraged to take part in activities and outings, perhaps hoping that they will be given a sense of purpose through work. One must remember that being, quote, committed, as it was known as at the time, would have been an inexorably lonely existence. Mental health and any associated illnesses were incredibly taboo subjects of this era, with conditions given far more poetic names such as melancholia. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It is likely that patients would have received little contact with the outside world, hence the need to make friends with those also in residence at the hospital. Again, this is a major theme present in Taking Over the Asylum, where the patients are seen to form close friendships with each other, all working at points on the same projects and activities and stuff like that. So very much it was they kind these other people kind of became your adopted family because chances are in the kind of like late victorian early edwardian era if you were put in a psychiatric hospital that's where you were staying yeah do you know what i mean yeah it's Um, really sad yeah it's very sad it's absolutely horrible but there is one treatment that may be one of the most abhorrent in all of recent history. And to talk about that, we're going to need to take another little trip to another abandoned institution in Scotland. So Hartwood Hospital, originally called Lanark District Asylum, opened in 1895. It was overseen by Dr. Archibald Campbell Clark. And he is perhaps best known for his attempts to advance mental health treatments and the care of patients. He died of influenza in 1901 and is actually interred in the hospital cemetery there. Oh. Where they would have, like, buried patients. I mean, that's nice. I suppose. I suppose, yes. He did do quite a lot of his major work there. Hmm. Um, So Clark is known to have used electroconvulsive therapy known generally today as ECT, in certain cases. Um, But Hartwood Hospital has the grotesque claim, you know how you like firsts, Chris? Mm -hmm. It was the first institution in Scotland to perform a lobotomy. Oh, no. That's a bad first, isn't it? That's a bad first. That's a bad first. Um... So a lobotomy was a procedure that involved severing connections to the brain's in the brain's prefrontal cortex, often leaving patients in a vegetative state. If you had a lobotomy, that was it. Yeah. And the name lobotomy itself comes from two Greek words meaning lobe and cut or slice. Oh no. Yeah. It was bad. Yeah. It was a bad time. Because, yeah, those treatments are awful stuff. Also, my one of my grandmothers had ECT, which really? I didn't know about until relatively recently. And I know some 
it is still performed today, not as frequently. And some people do swear by it. And if it works for you, great. But I think because we think of it as such a, a like a violent treatment. Yeah, like torture. When I heard about yeah, when I heard about that, I was genuinely really upset about it. Yeah. Because that's it's I just can't bear thinking about that. That a member of my family had yeah. that done to them. It's horrible. Um, and Celia Imrie, in her autobiography, talks about how she ended up in an institute of some kind because she suffered mm-hmm. from anorexia as a young mm-hmm. kind of like teen. I didn't know that. Yeah, um, she got put in um, what is probably effectively an asylum mm-hmm. at the time. And one of the most brutal doctors whose name I've forgotten in mental health down south was responsible for her care and it's believed that mm-hmm. at some point she was given ECT as well to treat anorexia yeah. it's like it doesn't that's doesn't make any sense it but doesn't she, make any sense there was something like I think there was a fire or something and all the records got destroyed um and I and I think and I may need to reread her autobiography but I think it was on purpose to destroy records of the treatment because this guy was brutal and would do oh treatments on god would do experimental treatments on people and so he destroyed the records. Anyway, I need to really, I need to look back wow. into that. Wow, that sounds like something that would end up on this podcast for sure. For sure, definitely does. Um, so with the introduction of care in the community, which was a British policy that took treatment out of hospital and into people's homes, it led to a period known as deinstitutionalisation. Oh yes, <laughs> the longest word ever made up. Yeah. by this government honestly see when I was writing it down I was like I feel like writing this word is never going to end <laughs> there's so <laughs> many letters <laughs> um, so Gartlock Hospital no longer needed as much went into decline before finally closing in 1996 the surrounding buildings were either demolished or converted into houses but the grade A bil- listed main building still remains derelict However, plans were put forward in 2019 to convert it into flats. Haunted. Fully haunted, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, But it appears that the treatment of patients upon Gartlock's opening and that displayed in taking over the asylum wasn't as radically different as we may first think. Mm. And that's Gartlock Hospital and taking over the asylum. Love it. I have read that play. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was that the sets or something, wasn't it? Yes. I don't recall why I read it. I feel like I read it for a purpose. <laughs> it may have just been for fun. But yeah, um, I have a feeling someone at some point was going to do it and I was being considered to be in it. So I was maybe reading it for that reason. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I have seen David Tennant, like clips of David Tennant in that film. He is very yeah. good. It's, such, it's so recent. Like that's not long ago at all. Like 25 years ago. Yeah, for that kind of treatment to still be going on is absolutely, horrendous. and I think that's the thing because also as well is that there's a really good article um, on the Guardian, and I think it's called "Breaking Open the Asylum" or something like that. That's written by Donna Francis Child, and she was basically like, she was like a writer at forty years old, still kind of looking for like that big break. Their director was like she said like he was no longer like that up and coming young director like by all accounts they were quite like an older creative team and she's like we had this idea and we really didn't think anyone was going to run with it because it was such a taboo 
even in the mid-90s, it was still yeah. such a don't-talk-about-it thing, that it really did take off in such an unexpected way. Because it, it did. And, like, have you ever seen the series? Have you ever seen, watched the I TV I don't think show? I've ever watched the full thing. It is all I've on YouTube. Clips. Yeah. All of it. I think all six... I think it's six episodes are all on YouTube. I highly recommend that people go and watch it. I think it's one of the best TV series ever made, to be perfectly okay. honest. It's brilliantly written. Acting is so good. It's so sad. But there is some... There is, like, elements of, like, joy and kind of, like, uplifting comedy in it as well. It was such a horrible time for these people. And you see you see that. And I think, I think it's because we... And we have we have made leaps and bounds in terms of how we talk about mental health and how we treat it. But even just like so recently. I've literally like, and I'm talking like in recent, literally the recent decade. Yeah, totally. Literally. <laughs> how these types of illnesses are seen and how they're treated and how they're not to be hidden away anymore. And that, that stigma around it is start is going away which is what we need it's great yeah it's just it's insane to, we think we're such a modern society but actually when you look at what the victorians did and then you look at the tv show which took like ex-patients from gartlock hospital gave like talked talked Real to francis child about it yeah so like it does it is set in reality there's not that a lot of difference between it yeah. Which, Which is, is the scariest thing about it. Yeah, that for a hundred years, a lot of the practices would be very similar. Yeah, exactly. They were still restraining people. There's, in the TV show, there's one of the ladies, Rosalie, has obsessive compulsive disorder. Because um, each of the episodes, you kind of learn about why a character is in there. Right. She, her husband says to her, like, you're not coming back home until you stop this until because obviously he didn't he doesn't understand obsessive compulsive disorder and what that means yeah. and how difficult that is for her because it you can't it's not something you just switch off no do you know what i mean and it's really it just shows that actually the views weren't that different to how the victorians viewed it that if you're just put away you're just put away and you're ostracized from society yeah. Which is horrible to the, the thought that that was still happening in the, in the 90s. It's scary. It's so scary. I think my yeah. mum, at some point when she was training as a nurse, had to watch electroshock, electroshock therapy. Yeah. Um, which she's spoken about before. Mm-hmm. I had to like, speak to her again to see like what she remembers of it. But mm-hmm. I think it, from what I remember her saying, it was just she didn't approve of it in any way, shape or form. But it was just unfortunately like a part of something she had to go and watch. No, as part absolutely, of her yeah. But um, horrendous. It's horrible. And when it it's portrayed really in film and TV, is. when you see it being done in films and stuff, it's always so brutal. It, uh, yeah, it, it, it was. Yeah. And again, I know it's still done today. I know it works for some people and that's fine. But I think we just think of it as because there are so many other different treatments. And also talking therapy is now a thing as well. Of yeah. course, like cognitive behavioral therapy was not really a thing, yeah, or wasn't like a mainstream thing. So, we really have literally in the last decade or so have come such a long way with how 
things are handled we are treated yeah for now. sure um people talk about stuff as well people yeah absolutely speaking about people are no longer as embarrassed like if i think about me in high school to admit to people that i was feeling anxious or mm-hmm. any of that kind of stuff would have taken such an effort whereas now yeah it's so much easier just to be like oh, i'm having a day where i just feel a bit anxious and people are yeah. so quick to be like okay that's cool whereas yeah, even when i was it. at school people i was know, like yeah couldn't do any of exactly that. it's just yeah so yeah yeah victorian mental health treatments and 1990s treatments were not that different as always please pop along to our instagram and our facebook give us likes and follows there we post all of our corresponding photos up there every week and it just gives you a nice little visual to go along with the story along with our magic hat mondays where you can give your responses to our questions our we love a link wednesdays where we join links between different stories that we've told and of course fun fact friday where you will learn some kind of fun scottish fact if you happen to have a question for the magical hat if you either email us or messages it over it will be written down on a little sheet of paper folded up and go straight into the hat where it may feature on future episodes also if you happen to own an apple device if you could head on over to that little purple logo of apple podcasts and leave us a little review it would be much appreciated and helps us in the massive podcast algorithm of the world and thank you for listening to a wee bit gothic Was that gothic? A wee bit. In 50 kisses. 50 kisses? What am I talking about? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to have to start the sentence for a third time. You've also got fluff on your beard. This is a regular occurrence. (laughs) Last Halloween, I was singing in a little concert thing online. And it wasn't Uh until I was watching the concert. I was like... I have fluff in my beard. I have like a ball of fluff hanging from my chin the whole time. (laughs) I was like, why didn't I not notice that? Oh no! I didn't notice.